Hello, all you beautiful people out there. This is Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. It's your boys, JJ Jerez, Arif Dean of Mile High Sports, here to talk some more avalanche hockey for you. The avalanche news was a bit fruitful this week, so we'll have some things to talk about. Of course, we're going to get into some Nichushkin and uh, look around the NHL coaching carousel later in the podcast. But Arif, I wanted to start with... Game one of the Stanley Cup Finals, because here we are, it's Sunday night, Uh, game one was yesterday, and it was just a treat, right? A lot of people kind of downplaying the the Vegas-Florida matchup, but um, it was an entertaining hockey and entertaining product from TNT. I mean, the the panel on TNT did a fantastic job, almost reminded me of a uh, boxing match, right? When you get one of those premier boxing matches, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, something like that, and you've got that energy around the building, right? The vibe. I think the panel did a good job play, uh, working through that, and TNT just did a great job from a production standpoint, the camera angles, the interviews, the hour-long pregame show, just a delightful game one so far. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been it's been a lot of fun, and, and you and I did an episode last week with Kyle Fredrickson where we talked about a lot of the things that the NHL could do better at growing the game, and I think the thing that I can talk about this week is something that they're actually doing a pretty good job at, and this is something that I think has, it was kind of started in 2017, if you remember the Pittsburgh Penguins faced the eight-seeded Nashville Predators, mm-hmm. and that was the first year that the culture and the community and the and the hoopla around the city of Nashville kind of became a thing. It was it was Broadway, it was country music, it was Luke Bryan and Carrie Underwood and everybody that was doing the national anthem. And the NHL really dug at the time it was NBC and NBC Sports, they really dug deep into the local outreach of of, of what this event means for the city of Nashville and obviously for the city of Pittsburgh. And I think that's something that since 2017 the NHL has done a great job at. And, you know, we had a couple of years with COVID where it was kind of awkward, but even in that second COVID year, when, when the Tampa Bay Lightning repeated as cup champs, they had the uh, Stanley Cup boat parade repeat shirt. They kind of dug into this boat parade. They tuck in, they dug into the Tampa Bay culture of, of being on the water and on the bay and, and doing all the cool things they do. And we saw a little bit of it last year as well with the Avalanche. And obviously, you know, it's something that they're, they're doing such a great job at. And, and I love that TNT is handling it because... Charles Barkley a couple of weeks ago when the Nuggets were on their way to the NBA championship. And, and I know that's not hockey, but it kind of goes to show just the kind of panels and the kind of guys that uh, TNT has working for him. And obviously Barkley's a hockey guy, which is really cool. Um, but Barkley was talking about how it was when the Nuggets were, you know, sweeping their way through the Western Conference uh, final. And he kind of mentioned like, I'm going to call, I'm going to call Peyton and I'm going to call Peyton Manning. And, uh, the first Peyton being Sean Peyton. And I'm going to call Peyton Manning and I'm going to set up to go golfing in Denver. I can't wait because the nuggets are clearly going to make the finals. And that was when it was like two, nothing over the Lakers. And then a couple days later, or a couple games later, they sweep and he goes, ah, I called Peyton Manning and I called Sean Peyton and we're going golfing in Castle Pines and just really digging into local community, golfing in Colorado, how fun and how cool it is in the views. And that's something the NHL has done an exceptional job at. We've seen it grow over the last few years. And the TNT panel, if anybody's going to really run with that, it's going to be them because we got Vegas, like you said. The, the, the pregame thing that they had was so much fun. They actually showed it on TNT, which was different, not something you usually see. And on the other side, it's Sunrise, Florida, right outside of Miami, where the Miami Heat are playing the Nuggets, obviously. They just took game two from Denver. And you're really going to see the NHL dive into both of these cities, two massive cities in the, in the league, 
to uh, markets that are not necessarily your your traditional hockey markets. They're not up north. They 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 don't have you know snow in the winters, but they are both markets that are great for the game that you can market publicly and and really grow a fan base. Yeah, I mean, I think back to the All Star Game and how you know the NHL really leaned into the surfboards and the pastel colors of being down there in Miami, right? And uh, the Vegas, you had the EDM show essentially before the game, and uh, you know it was just it, it was a lot of fun to listen to from a, a spectator standpoint. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be there, but um, yeah, I'm interested how they manage uh, the the Miami or I guess Sunrise scene. Interesting that they already kind of got a, a practice run with the All Star Game, but everything you're saying, I I just I th- I think about two things. I think about a how important it is for the NHL to have their arenas in really good places, just like Vegas has, uh, just like Nashville has that you were bringing up. Even Seattle, you know, they've really strategically kind of picked where they were doing that. And with that, I look at the debacle going on with the Arizona Coyotes and it just has to be so frustrating for the NHL to have so much potential in that market, but just not being able to pin down an arena in a good place that you can do that exact same thing and grow the community around it and really exploit the culture of the area um, just by your selective arena locations. Yeah, of course. And and this is something that Gary Bettman's been doing since he took over the NHL and, and building from 26 teams up to 32 now is, you know, there's obviously a lot of, there, there's a lot of controversy surrounding Arizona and that market. And, and uh, obviously they lost the vote in Tempe, but there was a tweet that I saw and I'll, I'll, I'll read you this tweet and then I'll go into why it's prevalent. It was from a reporter at The Athletic named Thomas Drance and he said, the difficulty with leaving the Phoenix market remains that the moment you do so, if the current NHL franchise ever did, it would immediately become the best market for the NHL to expand into. And obviously, like, I'm not a fan of the NHL doing this whole thing where they keep wiggling around Quebec City without giving them a team. Quebec City doesn't have a large population, but all you need is 18,000 people in the arena. Obviously, there are sales that you can do outside. There's merchandise and things like that. But you know you'll fill that arena. We just saw the Quebec Ramparts uh, win the Memorial Cup. It wasn't in Quebec, but when they won the QMJHL Championship, coached by Patrick Waugh, by the way, um, we'll talk about him when we talk about coaches. But when they were get, making their way through the QMJHL playoffs as a junior team, they were filling that arena in Quebec, the, the arena that is up to par with NHL standards and you know wants a hockey team. But aside from Quebec, what we're seeing that Gary Bettman does, and this is something we saw with Florida when they got their NHL team almost 30 years ago. Uh, This is something, or actually it has been 30 years, and this is something we saw with Vegas six years ago. And now Seattle, actually. Gary targets cities that have large populations, that have a big culture, and you have a lot of people there. There's a higher volume of people there and a bigger opportunity to grow a fan base. And that's why Arizona is one that just is so frustrating because, you know, we're seeing Salt Lake City is kind of making their way up to the front of the line as the next team for expansion or relocation. But but with Arizona and with that Phoenix, Scottsdale, Glendale, Tempe, that entire general area, Gilbert, now Mesa, as they're talking about, like that entire general area is such a largely populated place with huge fan bases for college sports and for uh, uh, professional sports. But the NHL just can't figure out the arena. The The ownership has been kind of wonky since the start, and that's been their biggest issue. You know it, that if Arizona could just figure that stuff out, it would work. And I wholeheartedly agree with the idea that 
as soon as the NHL leaves the city, as soon as the Coyotes relocate, Phoenix and that general area would immediately become the best market for the NHL to expand to. Case in point, we are now hearing about Atlanta and that growing market again. Oof, that'd be that'd be a risky one, but um, no, uh, circling back. I mean, shout out to TNT. TNT's been awesome, and uh, you know, we were kind of waiting for a while for them to get their shot at broadcasting the Stanley Cup, right? Since ESPN and TNT are alternating, I guess um, you know, hats off to them. Stick taps knuckle bumps, whatever you want, um, props to TNT. I think they did an amazing job, and it was really entertaining, and, and it you could see the difference. It was um, not your everyday normal hockey broadcast. It was uh, t- turned up a notch. Yeah, absolutely, and you know we're seeing, uh, like you said, they're, they're alternating. Over seven years, the, the NHL during this new TNT and ESPN deal, they go year one ESPN, year two TNT. The cool thing about TNT having the Stanley Cup final is is this is a network that has been around professional sports for a very long time now. And especially with the NBA, they've made their money through that uh, panel that we're talking about with Charles Barkley and Shaq and all that. And the cool thing about it is this is their first time having the finals for a professional sport. They've never had the NBA finals. And obviously, they're on ESPN, as we just saw with the Nuggets. So them having TNT is huge. And I remember last year when you and I were you know, in Tampa Bay and in Denver covering the Stanley Cup final. I made a couple of comments about how I wish TNT was covering the Avalanche's uh, Stanley Cup final. And, you know, it's no disrespect to ESPN. I don't I don't have any issues. I'm not, you know, here to bash ESPN, but I just prefer TNT's coverage. I prefer their their panel with Paul Bissonnette and Wayne Gretzky and, and uh, yeah, Liam they McHugh. They're so their, great. Their personalities. Like, having Wayne Gretzky sitting in a chair, which, by the way, he's been kind of gone all season because Wayne doesn't want to work and now he's back having Wayne Gretzky sitting in a seat next to Paul Bissonnette is so great it's awesome because it kind of like Bissonnette's got no filters he goes out of his way to remind Wayne of what it's like to be in the locker room and be one of the boys that you know like he was back in the day and you know Wayne is loving it he's feeling young again he's chatting it up with this guy Henrik Lundqvist has been a wonderful addition they just do such a great job and I'm really excited for them to have it. And I remember last year mentioning, like, I wish TNT had this Avalanche Stanley Cup final. But now, selfishly, when I look at it, I get to sit on my couch. I get to watch these games between the Panthers and the Golden Knights. I would much rather TNT now, and I'm glad ESPN had it the year the Avalanche had it, because selfishly, I wasn't able to watch it on TV last year. Like yesterday, game one, wonderful game, two to two through two periods. Shorthanded goal by Eric Stahl, sick goal by Shea Theodore, spectacular performance by Mark Stone to bat the puck down and really put a nail on the coffin in that game to make it four to two. Obviously, they added the empty netter. But 30 minutes before the game was scheduled for 6 p.m. Mountain Time, I got started. I watched the pregame show. I watched the entire game. The final buzzer sounded. I watched the entire postgame show. I don't often do that with national broadcasts or even local broadcasts for the Avalanche. I do it every single time TNT is on because they just do such a spectacular job. Yep. And let's not forget about the, the hockey, the product on the ice, right? That was good stuff, too. I loved the physicality. I loved the... Uh, I guess the message that the Florida Panthers were trying to send. And I love the referees kind of allowing it, allowing both teams to set the tempo from a physical standpoint and Vegas answering the bell, not backing down from anything Florida's doing. Um, so I love the hockey, but um, just both sites and the, I guess the ambiance, the, the environment around both of these games is giving me major FOMO for sure. Um, I look back to last year when, 
you know, we were involved in this, and Gary Bettman came to Ball Arena and gave his little press conference, kind of caught us off guard. Yeah, exactly. Um, So we kind of had that this week, too, right? And that's when when the uh, Val Nachushkin conversation started to pick up some more steam. Last week, we saw the body camera from the police officers get publicized and, uh, you know, generating a little bit more conversation around Val Nachushkin. So um, we missed the press conference this year because... Avalanche aren't in the Stanley Cup, unfortunately, but um, Val Nishushkin still a conversation there during the state of the uh, NHL. Yeah, I mean, it's not just that the Avalanche aren't in the Stanley Cup final. It's the higher seed ahead of Game 1 always hosts the Scary Batman and Bill Daly state of the uh, NHL uh, or union address, whatever they call it. But the question was asked, it was one of the last questions asked about Val Nishushkin. And, you know, if the NHL is investigating it or looking into it and Bill Daly said, we know exactly what happened and we think it was handled appropriately, both at the club level and I think at the league level. Uh, And then he went on to say, Nichushkin is eligible to play. Like there's nothing holding him back, basically. So there's nothing that's going to hold Nichushkin back. There was a report that came out from a reporter at uh, Sports Express, I want to say. It's a Russian paper uh, eight or nine days ago. And I was trying to find a way to get in touch with this reporter Um, but I couldn't find a way to do so. And that's why I didn't report on it. But this is a reporter that's well known. uh, And I I don't have the name off the top, his name off the top of my head, but he's written a lot of big articles. Uh, You know, those articles, they get translated from Russian over the years with Ovechkin, with Kuznetsov, with a lot of Russian stars. And one of them even being Nichushkin when he went back to Russia after leaving the Dallas Stars. And he mentioned that there was basically that the team knew that Nichushkin would be back in October and there's nothing holding him back and, and, and the avalanche expect him back and he expects to be back. And then there was something in there about how there are some lies in the reporting and stuff. And I don't want to get into any of that because that's all the drama and bullshit. I just don't care about at this point, to be honest with you. Um, Amen. But yeah, between that week, between that article last week, Saturday, Sunday, right before Memorial day. And now Saturday, Sunday here, June 3rd, 4th, where we heard from Gary Bettman and Bill Daly, it seems like, you know, conclude what you want to conclude, whether he's, uh, you know, in rehab or, or needed a break, whatever you want to conclude. It seems like the expectation is Val Nichushkin will be back for training camp. Obviously, there is nothing confirming that. But given the fact that the NHL hasn't made any statements on him, the Avalanche haven't made any further statements, it kind of seems like that's the way it's leaning. And that's good news for the Avalanche. You know, I don't know what's going on with Nichushkin. Uh, the body cam footage, there there was a weird part in there where Bradley Changstrom, the Avalanche team doctor, was telling the police department and telling the two police officers, can I tell you something? It was something along the lines of, can I tell you something confidential about Val Nichushkin's health history and the officer said no because my camera is recording right now so I don't know where that was going I don't know what he was referring to but it seems like whatever it is given the fact that this happened in April you got May June July August and September five full months off this can only do good for Val Nichushkin it seems like both mentally and more importantly it seems like physically um so it sounds like you know, we might get a healthy Val Nichushkin and, and someone who's ready to rock and roll next season. Um, there's a lot of questions. I saw a lot of people tweeting me when I posted that article late Saturday night about the Bill Daly comments about, will the team accept him and will the players accept him? And and, and no doubt in my mind, this is, I, I can't see this as the kind of thing that's going to cause a stir among the leadership group. They love Nichushkin. Nichushkin loves this team. 
if he's ready to go physically, mentally, there's nothing going on personally for him come October. I, I can't see a reason why he's not in that starting lineup. Yeah, I guess the good news about it is that it, it's obviously going to be Val Nichushkin's decision, right? The NHL's ready for him. The exactly. Avalanche are ready for him. If Val's ready to go, he'll be going. And you just got to think about what he's been through since that Stanley Cup final, right? I mean, breaking his foot, having to get surgery on it, having to work his way back in the NHL, and then having expectations placed on him, right? He just entered the first year of this brand new contract. He feels like he has to perform. I'm sure he had a lot of pressure um, to to really force his way back. We saw him in and out of the lineup a couple times. Who knows exactly what that was for? Um, I can't say for sure that it had anything to do with his previous injury, but obviously he was going through some stuff throughout the year, right? So, um, yeah, maybe just a little bit of time off, just like everybody kind of needed around the avalanche and um, a step away from the game is exactly the recipe that Val Nichushkin needs to reset and be back to where he needs to be both physically and mentally. I like how you threw both of those in there because it's it's an uphill battle and it's two full-time jobs getting up that hill. Yeah, and right? and, um, and and there was a picture that he posted on his Instagram back in June, July. A shot of his foot in the locker room after the Stanley Cup Finals ended and there is a clear break in the bone of his foot and his foot is all sorts of colors and shades of purple, yellow, and, and blue and he didn't have a lot of time to rest. He didn't have a lot of time to recover from that. And then he goes into this new contract, eight years, 49 million. The Avalanche, two parts of their, three parts of their second line were Gabe Landeskog, Nazem Kadri, and Val Nichushkin. Gabe Landeskog obviously is its own story. Both Val Nichushkin and Nazem Kadri signed $49 million deals for Kadri over seven years, for Val over eight years. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. And, and it's part of the reason why I, I, I can't see a reason why he wouldn't be back he's not going to throw 41 42 million dollars out the window um obviously money's not the end all be all but like that's that's a lot of money 42 43 million um but when you think about how he played this year he played 53 games he had 47 points he had that early stretch in the first seven games he had seven goals and four or five assists he was unbelievable he was spectacular he was great in game two that last game that we saw him before game three and all the craziness happened in Seattle and and his personal leave he scored that big goal in that game where Devon Taves came back and won it for the Avs he was he was he was still the great player that we know and love and it just seems like he's only going to be better and you know there was something you and I talked about a lot last year the Avalanche's record with Nachushkin in the lineup versus without. This past season, in the 50, 53 games that he was in the lineup, the Avalanche were 39-8-6. In the 29 he missed, 12-16-1. Like, just unbelievably, like, just a massive uh, uh, difference between the two. You know, the, the year before, the Avalanche were 44-12-6 with him in the lineup and 12-7-1. That means in the 20 games that he missed in 21-22, they had seven regulation losses. In the 62 games that he played, they only had 12 regulation losses. Like, he's a crucial piece of this team. And even this season, with all the craziness, with all the injuries, him in and out of the lineup, he still had 17 goals and 30 assists for 47 points in only 53 games. He's still someone that if he plays 75 to 82 games, you're going to see him put up 60 to 75 points easily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just hope he, he returns and is back to, I guess, I don't know what I'm the right word I'm looking for. I was going to say square one, but that's not right. Back to just being adjusted, yeah. right? Back to being where he needs to be. And, Healthy. And just, 
healthy mentally, physically, and, and ready to rock because you don't like seeing the team in turmoil, but you also don't like seeing an individual like that, you know, obviously going through some stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I respect his privacy, and it sounds like the NHL does too. So uh, we're going to move on and hope to see him at training camp. Yeah, ready to. Go. I mean, there. Look, there. There's valid reason why we should be questioning this, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that we shouldn't be questioning it. There's a lot of things that the woman said uh, to the police officers and and in the police report. Um, some things that the Avalanche should provide clarity on, but. Whether they choose to or not to do so, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and and give my opinions any further. The Avalanche handled this terribly. They they could have done a ton of things. And this is something that I've talked to many national reporters, and they've all said the same thing. So this isn't an Avalanche reporter bashing on the team he covers. But a lot of people that I've talked to, a lot of big national reporters have said the exact same thing, that the Avalanche just handled this poorly, and we know it's going to be a shitstorm come September because we are going to ask about it especially if Val Nichushkin is ready for day one of training camp. We are going to ask about it. We are going to try to check for clarity. Val's not going to say anything. The team's got to come out with some kind of a statement and really nip this in the bud quickly because there's a lot of things in that police report said by that woman and said on the body cam footage. And there's a lot of things that you can conclude from all of it that doesn't look good for the avalanche, doesn't look good for the NHL. Most importantly, doesn't look good for Val Nichushkin. And, and it's just something they have to address to really put an end to all this. I almost wonder if, you know, it's going to go beyond the NHL and it's it's going to be almost like a national investigation, low-key, obviously, but to perhaps the underground that's surrounding the NHL, right? I don't, I don't think it's the NHL yeah. itself, but perhaps something going on uh, on the peripheries i would say yeah um, i mean yeah. it's it's hockey culture you don't want this to turn into a situation where years from now it turns into an investigation let us know what happened let's let's put an end to this to make sure you know hopefully the the, the result of what happened is no foul play to an extent obviously there's there's still the fact that you know val Nichushkin missed morning skate and and seemed to be on some kind of a bender uh that's that's something you can conclude from the police report um, on a game day, which in itself is is kind of surprising that we heard that the team has not disciplined him or anything like that. And that was something Jared Bednar made very clear from day one. This is not disciplinary. But whatever the hell it is that's going on, um, I think it would be just so much better for you, for me, for all the media, for Val himself, because he's going to have to answer a lot of questions about this if they don't. It would be so much better, most importantly for the fans, for all of you listening that want to buy Val in the Chuskins jersey, that want to support him, uh, that love him and have supported him, I should say, for the last four seasons. It would be so much better to just have this out in the open, clear up what happened, and if Val Nachushkin wasn't involved in anything and, and is innocent in all this, you know, from a legal and moral standpoint, let that be known. Yeah, we'll just leave it here. I don't want to. I don't want to get into it any further. <laughs> yeah, that's that's all we can um, say. It's it's June fourth, and and we're not going to hear or see from we're not going to hear from Val or see him until sometime in late September. It's a hundred days away. I will end on this a quick little story on the last time I personally saw Val Nachushkin. It was Game Two. The Avalanche had just won over the Seattle Kraken, and uh, Nick Konstanika of NHL.com walks up to Val Nachushkin and says, "Hey, can I have a quick I saw word?" That too. Val says, "No." and walks out. Now, I it caught me off guard because I feel typically Val is very polite 
if he says no, he says no, thank you, or no, I'm sorry, and he's not exactly you know going to just turn his shoulder on you. But he kind of did there at Nick Constantinica, and it's like there's something else going on in that guy's yeah. mind right now, and and um, just gotta let it be. Something very strange there, and you know, I think you mentioned after game one, Bowen Byram had a little bit of a rough outing. He walked across the dressing room to Bowen Byram, shook his hand, gave him a pat on the back to basically say it's okay. So, yep. like, he was very in the series until he wasn't. He was mm-hmm. he was mentally in until he was checked out. Something, something weird happened there. But you know what? This is something we've been talking about for the last couple months. The... The 22-23 season for the Avalanche was a shitstorm in many ways. It was a mental nightmare uh, for for everyone involved. And this is something you and I did all season. And after this month of having time off, it's kind of made me reflect. Like, we've talked a lot and we've joked a lot off camera. And we've even said it on the podcast, which I hate that we've said it publicly, is the idea of thank God it's over. Thank God it's over. We can have a break now. Thank God this hockey season's over. Because look, man, in the end... We cover hockey for a living. Like we have press credentials to be in the locker room to talk to Val Nichushkin, to be able to share these stories, to talk to Gabe Landeskog and Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr and all of these guys that are going to be future Hall of Famers: Bo Byram, Devon Taves, Miko freaking Renton, and all of the guys in that room. We got to meet guys like Alexander Georgiev and Evan Rodriguez, two stand-up guys when they get acquired by by this hockey team. And this season just seemed like. It wasn't as fun as it should be. It was still spectacular. It was great in many ways, but it was very mentally taxing. And now watching the Stanley Cup final, you know what, man? May would have been exhausting, but if the Avalanche had the team to do it, I would fucking love to be covering another Stanley Cup final right now. I would love to be around all the national media, to be in the arena for that pregame. You know, something you and I last year during the Stanley Cup final, man, we were we were on a different level when it came to that energy in the arena and how fucking excited we were to be there. And and I'm just excited for next season to start because I know it's going to go back to that. There's a long summer ahead here for the abs, which is good. There's also a lot of moves that need to get, uh, get done to bring this team back up to that level. It's June 4th in 30 days from now, this team's going to look a lot different. Those first three, four days of July and those last three, four days of June, when the NHL draft gets going, there's going to be a lot of moves for this team, and, and it's only going to be exciting. In 30 days from now, we're going to know what the team looks like, and we're going to know that the Avalanche, more than likely, are going to be a contender once again. Yeah, I mean, a, a Western Conference final in Vegas and then a final in South Florida, I mean, that would have <laughs> been a blast, and nothing could top that. I just got to make sure to pack the ibuprofen <laughs> um, on those yeah, trips. Yeah, you do, and I'll, I'll pack extra for you, and I'll be your designated uh, scooter driver your, <laughs> because I know you might need it. Um, let's turn gears here and make it a little bit more positive with our Superbook Sports read. Bring that big bet energy this summer with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the most trusted name in sports betting. And right now, use promo code MILEHIGH to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. Win or lose, they will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Simply visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions or download the Superbook Colorado app in the app stores. Enter the promo code MILEHIGH and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Let's look at the coaching carousel going on right now. A couple hires being made early on here in the offseason. I guess it's not even technically the offseason as we just finished talking about the Stanley Cup final. So um, a couple names going around, a couple 
tied to Avalanche, right? I guess let's start with the Nashville hiring of Andrew Burnett. Yeah, the Nashville Predators under the tutelage of new general manager Barry Trotz. That's still a funny thing to say. The longtime coach taken over for the longtime GM and David Poyle hires one of the players that they drafted in the expansion draft way, way back, 20-something years ago. How, how often has that happened in the NHL where a coach goes to GM? Because I'm not sure those two jobs translate. I'm really curious how Barry Trotz handles this role. Um, Pat Quinn has done it. Uh, Bob Murray has done it. I want to say Pat Burns. Have they done it successfully? Pat Quinn, yes, because Pat Quinn was a successful GM with the Vancouver Canucks. I think... I'm like, don't quote me on this, but I'm like 99% sure he was the GM in 1994 when the Vancouver Canucks made the Stanley Cup final, lost in game seven to the Rangers. So they were one win away from the Stanley Cup in 94. I'm pretty sure that he was the general manager at the time. He also coached the Toronto Maple Leafs in 2002. The last time Toronto made it to the third round, Toronto was just a couple wins away from being in the Stanley Cup final. Um, that was the year that I was dreaming of an avalanche leaves final and they both lost the Red Wings beat the Avs and the Hurricanes beat the Maple Leafs. So he's had success on both ends of it. Um, but it doesn't happen often. Barry Trotz is the kind of guy that if somebody's going to do it, he seems like the kind of guy to do it. Um, it also just goes to show that like, this is something that we should see more of like guys like Joel Quinville, Mike Babcock, as they get older, you would obviously Joel Quinville's not in the NHL right now for you know, obvious reasons, but those older coaches, as they get older, you, you kind of can see them switching more into a general manager role. It's still as competitive and still gets the juices flowing, just not the same way that you were doing it for 20, 30 years. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens here with Barry Trotz. This says to me that he had a big input when he was in Nashville as a coach and in Washington as a coach, maybe even the Islanders, granted that was with Lou Lamorello, but it says to me that he had a lot of input on player personnel and now he's just kind of making it a more official thing. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, uh, yeah, that that makes absolute <laughs> sense. I guess that, that's when the job does kind of translate when you've already been dabbling in it for several years. Um, let's look around the rest of the league. Spencer Carberry to Washington, Mike Babcock to Columbus. Still a few coaching vacancies out there. Yeah, you know, no, no, the, you're, you're not just going to say Mike Babcock to Columbus and then twirl over it like that's a very normal thing to throw in there. We got to talk about Babs. <laughs> Mike Babcock. So for starters, it's not official yet. The Columbus Blue Jackets haven't announced it. Remember the summer when Mike Babcock was a free agent? Coming out of that Detroit Red Wings season and Toronto, Buffalo, all these teams were out lurking and trying to get him hired. And then the Toronto Maple Leafs gave him an eight-year contract worth $50 million. That deal expires in 26 days. June 30th is the last deal day of that deal. And for the Blue Jackets, they're just going to let the deal expire. If they hire him early, they got to pay a little bit of salary in June and let the Toronto Maple Leafs pay the rest. And why put, your out, put yourself out 50, 100, whatever many grand however the math works for for the paychecks when you can just wait till July 1st. So is it necessary for Mike Babcock to be at the draft table? Probably not. And he obviously won't be there, but you still know he's going to have a hand on player personnel. The Columbus Blue Jackets and their general manager, Yarmo Kekalainen, you got to know he's going to be texting Babs and talking to him throughout the draft. And it won't really be tampering because they've already gotten permission to talk to him. Hence the reason why it's kind of been out there that they're going to hire him. So this is a very, very interesting hire for a team that has already hired guys like Ken Hitchcock and John Tortorella. 
Um, and both of those were met with, you know, very angry fans. Like those are two old school coaches and players. Yeah. But at the same time, the best Columbus Blue Jacket seasons have come under Ken Hitchcock and under John Tortorella and Mike Babcock. Look, I know there's a lot going on with Mike Babcock. He did some very fucked up things in his time in Detroit. And then obviously the Mitch Marner thing, he made him write a list and all this stuff, but he's a good coach. Like this isn't, this isn't Joel Quinville and, and what he was involved in, which that in itself is its own story. This is a coach that took coaching a little too far. He's not a terrible person. I mean, he is kind of an asshole in many ways, but that's what makes a good coach. It's the NHL. He's, he's had a lot of success in his career. I know it's been a while since he's won even a playoff series for that matter. I think 2013 was the last time, but this is a guy that is, is in my opinion, is going to do good things. You know, Johnny Goudreau escaped Daryl Sutter. But Johnny Goudreau also had the best season of his career, 100 and 100 plus points, 115, I want to say, under Daryl Sutter. Mike Babcock's only going to do good things for that team. Um, and, and I'm excited to see. And he replaces another Avalanche connection. He replaces Brad Larson, who used to play for the Avalanche, who was fired by the Columbus Blue Jackets. It's a bold choice for sure. That's I a good think, word. You know, Very good word. It, it, may, it may pay off. It may not. I think there's uh, the obvious... I guess barriers he has to get through with his players because you know there's there's a, look at Jared Bednar right we've t- heard so much about how he's a players coach and how much the players love to play for him he's gonna have to really uh, Bab- Babcock's gonna really have to earn that trust I guess and earn the players respect in the sense that okay I'm not gonna be that same coach anymore I'm still gonna have hints of it because that's what made me successful but as far as going overboard or crossing the line I'm you know I'm sure he's planning on doing a much better job of being diligent of that and and the players are probably gonna have just as much say in being like hey man pump the brakes you said at the beginning of the season we could tell you when you're crossing the line you're crossing the line so I'm sure there's gonna be a healthy communication and um, a healthy change in you know, both Mike Babcock's, Babcock's style and the Columbus Blue Jackets culture. Yeah, I mean, John Tortorella is still very much John Tortorella, but he has also evolved into a more modernized version of what Tortorella does and, and does well and is also annoying. It makes you want to pull your hair out. So that's kind of what you can expect from Mike Babcock, and that's ultimately what I think is going to happen with Mike Babcock. There is no reason why the Columbus Blue Jackets would hire him if it wasn't going to be that. And I know words are words, and... Actions are going to speak lo- uh, louder than words, but he's he's a good coach. He's going to have good players on the team. I think he is going to have a good chance here to press the right buttons to, uh, you know, he's got a lot of young players on there. Guys like Kent Johnston and Sillinger and, and Kent Johnson, I should say, and, and Sillinger and guys like that. And then he's also got Patrick Line and Johnny Goudreau. So um, Zach Wierenski, like that's a pretty good team that just needs a good coach and, and Babcock has proven in the past that he can be one. So I'm I'm really intrigued by it. Bold is the right word. It's 100% the right word to go with here. And and I think Columbus, of all the guys that are out there, this is the one that makes the boldest and most sense for them. Yeah, I can't say I'm fully on board with it. I'm sure there were a lot of, um, you know, very good names they could have thrown in that hat. But, hey, it's the decision they made. Let's see how it pans out. And let's see uh, the way he manages that young group of guys and what kind of changes have been made in his style, I guess. Um, but like I was about to get to before we had the, 
backtrack and dive into Mike Babcock was um, a couple of coaching vacancies still alive out there, namely the New York Rangers. We've heard the Ottawa Senators, and we've heard the name Patrick Waugh floated around both of those teams. Does Patrick Waugh make his return to the NHL behind the bench this season? I think so. I really do. The Anaheim Ducks are looking for a coach. The The Ottawa Senators, DJ Smith is kind of just hanging in the balance right now. He's just chilling. I don't know if I'm going to have a job or not because we don't know who's going to own the team and what they want to do. There have been rumors that uh, one of the bidders, uh, one of the ownership group bidders, actually has Patrick Waugh circled as the guy they want to hire if they were to um, win the bid and and, and and purchase the Ottawa Senators. Um the New York Rangers, obviously, there's a big connection there. It's Chris Drury, the general manager. The Anaheim Ducks are also looking for a coach. I don't know if that's the team for him. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, Patrick Wad, moments ago, like we are recording this, it is 10.15 p.m. Mountain Time. For some reason, it's a late podcast on a Sunday night for no reason. Uh, after the Nuggets game, too. And that's kind of why we're uh, stumbling with our words here a little bit. But Patrick Wad just won the Memorial Cup a couple hours ago, coaching a young team of Quebec Rampart's junior players as he has for pretty much the past decade. What's wild if I, I saw this tweet the other day that, you know, and if you add today's game to it, Patrick Waugh has coached 1,092 games, both in the NHL and the QMJHL. That's more than the 1,029 regular season games he played. He has now been a coach for more games behind the bench than he was as a goalie in the crease. Which is wow. wild. Yeah, that's uh, – we'll go to show you just how old we've gotten. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Um, he retired in tw- 2003. He was hired by the Avalanche in 2013. Here we are, 2023, 10 years later again. It looks like he might be hired again. Um, so the Anaheim Ducks could make sense on that on that front. The Ottawa Senators could also make sense on that front. But the New York Rangers, you can't help but think about the connection with Chris Jury. And and I got to tell you, JJ, if Patrick Waugh gets hired in, in, in New York – I expect another video <laughs> of you playing the role of Chris Drury, uh, Patrick Waugh, um, something to kind of reimagine the video with Darcy Kemper last year about the Georgiev trade. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I really do think he's going to land one of these three jobs. There were a ton of rumors about Columbus hiring Patrick as well. And I think at the last second, they kind of switched to more Mike Babcock being the guy, which kind of came out of nowhere. But it just goes to show that Yarmo Kekalainen was really digging. He didn't want those, I hate the word retreads, but that's what it is. The the, the, the Laviolettes and, and the Gallants and all those. He wanted someone different. And, and how different? How is Babcock not a retread? Well, I mean, Babcock, this, hey, Babcock has been fired once. Never forget that. Babcock coached for three or four seasons in Anaheim. His contract expired. They wanted him back. He went to Detroit. He coached in Detroit for well over a decade. His contract expired. They wanted him back. He went to Toronto. Coached in Toronto for three seasons, three and a half years, and then got fired. That dude lasted nearly two decades, 17 years in the NHL before getting fired. That's pretty fucking impressive. You got you to gotta admit, like everybody gets fired. Peter, Peter Laviolette's been to multiple Stanley Cup finals, has a Stanley Cup championship to his name. He's been fired three or four times since you and I started this podcast. Like it happens to everybody. <laughs> Gerard Gallant has gotten fired by the Florida Panthers, by the New York Rangers, by the Vegas Golden Knights. Those are why I call them retreads. Even Joel Quinville's been fired. He got fired by the Colorado Avalanche. Like everybody gets fired. Mike Babcock's been fired once. So it is a little bit different. Patrick Wall obviously has also never been fired because he quit. And that's a little bit of a different case. But 
both Patty and Babs are, are different kind of guys. And Columbus, it seems like Kekalainen was really digging into hiring a different type of dude. But to go back on topic, like, I, I can't help but think, especially with the success he's found in the QMJHL once again, and the fact that after leaving the Avalanche, he went back to this and rebuilt himself. And plus, the NHL is just a far more entertaining place with Patrick Watt in it. I, I can't help but think he'll get one of these last three jobs. I don't know which one, though. Yeah, it sounds like Columbus was looking for a motivator, a unique motivator, right? Not somebody who's just going to go in there and rah-rah him up, but maybe, um, you know, hit the psychological side of the game is apparently what they're searching for. But yeah, we'll see where Patrick Wall lands. What, what's taking the Ottawa Senators' um, bidding process so long? When when are they going to finally wrap that up? Do they have a deadline? When does this, you know, when does this get decided? Gary Bettman said that he said he made a comment something about information over the next couple of weeks, which says to me it's over the next couple of weeks. You know, it's before the draft, uh, right around the time the Stanley Cup final will come to an end, unless it's a sweep or something. But I think the biggest thing here is the NHL. Look, we talked about this with, uh, on. I, I mentioned this on the episode last week. The Ottawa Senators have never had stable ownership. Their original owner didn't have the money to finance a team. And then Eugene Melnick came in in 2003 and, quote, saved them. And then kind of flushed them down the toilet too. He didn't have the money to finance this team either. And here they are again. It's 2023. This is a team in Ottawa. It's the capital of Canada. It's a huge fan base with a arena in an area where it shouldn't be. Um, if you want to talk about the arena in Ottawa, just to give you an idea. It, well, it's in Canada for starters. And we mentioned this with Freddie. If you want, if you're wondering as a listener and you, JJ, what it's like to have that arena where it is and how much of a bad idea it is in hindsight, it's the equivalent of the Denver airport and where it's located. This Or the Rapids, <laughs> the Rapids Stadium. Yeah, right? <laughs> but the Denver airport, it's going to be built in this new area with all this development, and now it just kind of sits there all alone with this long road to get to it. That's the Ottawa Senators playing in Canada for some reason. So they've never had anything stable. I think the NHL is doing the right thing by kind of not just vetting, but taking its time with this process and also trying to pinch every dollar out of the seller because, you know, you, again, you're in the real estate market. You know how it works. Not only are the NHL and Gary Bettman interested in lining the pockets of the Melnick uh, family and his daughters that have taken over the team since he passed, but if the Ottawa Senators sell for $1.1, $1.2 billion, what's it going to do to all the neighbors in the real estate world? What's it going to do? Comps go Bingo. Up, what's it going to do to the NHL teams? Vegas bought in for 500 mil. Seattle bought in for 650 mil. If the Ottawa Senators sell for over a billion, I, I can't even fathom to think of what the next expansion team would cost and what kind of money the NHL would make from it. Yeah, wild stuff. But here, that's kind of the ballpark of MLS prices right now yep and that goes back to what we talked about last week this league <laughs> sucks <laughs> like well, i don't know how else to say it <laughs> well i guess uh, a little more about the state of the nhl was some conversations about the salary cap stuff so that affects not only the entire nhl but the colorado avalanche too so um yeah i guess what was said about the salary cap that struck your um year fancy i'm losing it it's uh, um, it's 10 30 p.m um the so gary bettman was asked about the salary cap and as we know the the memorandum of understanding that new collective bargaining agreement that happened during covid it was said that the nhl is only going to increase the cap by a million for three seasons or four seasons or however long until the covid uh relief debt 
that the NHLPA kind of compiled is paid off. There is, I forget the number. I want to say it's 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 a very low number, 700,000 or, or something like that. It's a very tiny number that remains from this debt that the NHLPA was hoping to have fully paid off but isn't. So because of that, based off of what they signed in 2020, technically the salary cap should only go up by $1 million. Now, here's the weird part about that is here's where it gets tricky is the NHL is going to let the salary cap rise by a million. Then the COVID relief is going to get paid off like in the middle of October if the season starts October 1st or by early November. And now all the teams are going to play with the same low cap, which means next season the cap is going to rise by a large number, six, seven, eight, nine million in one season. The NHLPA and the NHL would be smart to smooth it out. The NHLPA knows it. Frank Saravalli, who obviously is an insider, said today that there are owners in the NHL, Board of Governors, that are kind of getting at Gary Bettman a little bit, telling him that it needs to go up by more than a million this season. Because by doing so, like if you do the calculations on what's left of the debt, you can raise the cap by about two and a half to three million dollars this summer and still have what's left of the COVID relief paid off by the end of the season. Instead of paying it off in October and then working with the same flat cap, let that uh, COVID debt kind of be distributed over a full season. It'll still be paid off by next summer, but you'll have a little bit more of a balance in the cap rise because even the NHL, like they don't want an eight, $9 million jump in one summer because all that's going to do is make a player that should make 4 million get paid 8 million. And now you're going to inflate all the prices and future years players now cost more. So it would be smart for everybody, and obviously the NHL players, it would matter for them too, especially guys that are UFAs, for a $3 million, $2.5 million jump this summer and then about a $5 million jump next year. So that's all to say Gary Bettman came out yesterday in that same press conference ahead of Game 1 and said that $1 million is what we had agreed to, and that's what the expectation is. But there's something you'll learn about Gary Bettman since 1993. He's been leading this league since the year that I was born, J.J., you never believe what he says. You believe what he does. He's still got time to negotiate. He's using this as a negotiating tool and negotiating tactic to get something back from the players. What it is, who the fuck knows? Maybe it's the 84 games because the, the escrow wasn't getting touched. The players aren't going to give that up. So I still don't think that it's set in stone. And we'll find out here over the next two, three weeks. Is it going to jump up by a million? 1.5, 2, 2.5, 3. We'll see. Well, just knowing that it is going to go up is helpful, right? Especially from the Avalanche point of view, managing the Landeskog situation. But really knowing exactly yeah. how much it's going to jump is is going to be pivotal. So hopefully that news comes out sooner than later. So that way the Avalanche know what pieces they need to move and what pieces they need to bring in and how they really need to manage. Because like you said at the top of the show, this is a, a pretty big off season for the Avalanche and there's a lot of things that they yep. got to do and a lot of things they got to shore up. So having that knowledge and having the concrete answer of yes, the salary cap is going up by X amount of dollars is going to be very big for the avalanche. Absolutely. Like 100%. And, and look, this is something I talked about the episode I did with Nate Lundy after uh, Gabe Landeskog spoke with media and uh, Chris McFarland spoke. And it's something you and I have since touched on. The Gabe Landeskog LTIR couldn't happen at a better time for the avalanche if it's going to happen at all, because you get one year of 7 million relief. And then next season, no matter what happens this year, whether it's one million or two and a half, next season the cap is gonna make a big jump. And I know people are kind of 
like still questioning if it is. No, it absolutely is because Gary Bettman doesn't choose the salary cap. It's an equation, and that equation is going to turn into the salary cap. So basically, Gary Bettman said yesterday, just to kind of explain how it all works. This is I'm going to make this as easy as I can, and and you know hopefully you guys can follow along. I know we've done these lessons before, and sometimes they've done well. <laughs> At other times, I've seen your face kind of stare blankly as I speak gibberish and nonsense. The NHL, Gary Bettman, something he mentioned yesterday was that the NHL is approaching $6 billion in hockey-related revenues. According to the collective bargaining agreement, that $6 billion gets cut in half, 50% to players, 50% to the uh, to the owners. So if it's approaching $6 billion, let's just use the number 5.8 as an example. So the way the salary cap works is you take that $5.8 billion, you divide it by two because 50% goes to the owners, the other 50 goes to the players. Then you take that remaining number, $2.9 billion, distribute it among 32 teams, and that's the midpoint of the salary cap. So that comes out to roughly $90 million. That's the middle point. You add 15% to get the salary cap ceiling. You subtract 15% to get the salary cap floor. So to make it easy, let's use the number five. So if the NHL made $5 billion in revenue, that means the players get $2.5 billion. You divide that $2.5 billion by 32, you get $78 million. You add 15% to that, the salary cap ceiling is $88 million. It's as simple as that. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is because of COVID, there's now a two-year lag. What that means is the 2025 salary cap is now based on the 22-23 season, not on the 23-24 season. So what that means is whatever the HRR ends up being this year will take it will be taken into account for the salary cap, not this upcoming year, but the year after. So it's as simple as that. So when you do the equation, any way you do it, even if you want to shoot low on the numbers, we're still looking at somewhere between 89 and 93 million for the salary cap season heading into the 24-25 season, we are at 82 and a half right now. If it goes up by a million, it's 83 and a half, and then it's, it might go up by 10 million next summer, maybe eight or nine more realistically. So it just makes more sense to go by three and then by five or six after that. So that's basically how the salary cap works. Uh, all, all to say that even if it only goes up by a million this year, and even if you go out and trade for a $6 million Shifley or, you know, he's not under contract for any more years, but whatever. Like if you signed someone like O'Reilly or traded for someone that makes six, seven million and they eat up Gabe Landeskog's salary this year, if Landeskog is healthy enough, hopefully to play the following season, the cap's going to jump up six or seven million and you just fit him right in. So it's not going to be as tough for the avalanche to bring someone in and then have to get rid of him when Landeskog comes back. I would say that was a successful explanation. Thank I followed God. almost all of it, <laughs> and I, I understood your. I understood the way you broke that down. So thank yeah, you. of course. Um, and and I I do want to shout out the shout out the guys at Puckpedia because I had a long conversation with them today to kind of figure that out. I thought that when you divide it by two, you just distribute that number among thirty two teams. And he said, no, that's the midpoint. You got to add the fifteen percent for the ceiling, subtract the fifteen percent for the floor, and then obviously. 
there's that two-year lag, which he also reminded me of in the memorandum of understanding. And obviously, like the numbers could be off by a little bit because uh, escrow is played into is taken into account here. So you know, it, it could be give or take a million by that number. So whatever you get that number in your calculator to be, if you knew the actual 100% number of what the HRR was, the hockey-related revenue, it could be off give or take by half a mil to a mil, which is not a big number. All in all. Low 90s, high 80s salary cap coming up in the next couple of years. And again, just in time for the Colorado Avalanche because lately it's felt they the last couple of seasons. They've been right up against it. They've been tight. They've been uh, having a hard time managing it. So it couldn't come at a better time. Even $1 million could do the world yeah. of difference for this squad. And this is a team, by the way, that had $625,000 in bonus overages. So they're already going to start a little bit lower than the other teams and you know, they got about 20 million in cap space right now, but they do have eight or nine or 10 or 11, 12 guys, whatever it is to sign, um, which, you know, makes me really believe that obviously that's without Gabe Landeskog's cap relief for the LTIR. So you can add 7 million to that. And then if you trade Sam Gerrard, like this team, I know people keep talking about them being cap crunched, but they could do a lot this summer. And the expectation is they should do a lot. And it's something we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Like, Chris McFarlane has to find the guys in the free agent market that make sense for this team and sign as many of them as you can. I know this team has been built on trades over the last several years. You know, they've done an exceptional job of starting with the Matt Duchesne trade, going into Nazem Kadri and Devon Taves, Andre Burakovsky, Alexander Georgiev. Like they bring in a lot of guys through trades. But you got to find a way to sign some dudes, Arturi Lekanen, Josh Manson, etc. You got to find a way to sign some guys because you don't have a lot of assets. So if you need a strong left winger, for example, and I, you know, I'm just bringing up this name as an example. I tweeted about it yesterday. If you need a strong winger, a strong middle six, top six winger that can step into your top six and you know he can play well there, instead of going out and trading what you traded to get Arturi Lekanen, Go out and try to sign Arvin Bar Ivan Barbashev and hope you can outbid the other teams and it makes sense for your cap structure. You need a line two center. Yes, you can go out and trade for one or you can try to win the Ryan O'Reilly sweepstakes and keep your assets. You got to dig into that UFA market. I know it's not a, a like a deep market this year, but find the guys that fit, whether it's Michael Bunting, Ryan O'Reilly, Ivan Barbashev, a couple defensemen because, you know, maybe you might trade Sam Girard. You need to replace him because that is a big part of your team. There's a lot of guys out there that make sense. Not a lot of stars on the UFA market, but hey, guess what? The Avs don't need stars. They got them. They need the guys that work around the stars, and that's what you can find the UFA market this year. Yeah, and I'll be curious to see how the news spills out about how they handle their own free agents, right, and who they actually uh, offer yeah. to, who they let walk, and um, it all starts there, right? It all starts on who they keep, who they let walk, and then how they start to fill those voids and, and how they start to fill those roles on the open market. So... Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be a interesting offseason. Yeah. Some still hasn't even started. Hasn't, no, we're, but we're getting ever so close. We're a little over three weeks away from the NHL draft. And that's when you're going to see a lot of craziness less than three weeks away from the first buyout period. So there's going to be a lot of things coming up here soon. Um, I wrote about JT Comfort and Evan Rodriguez about a week and a half ago, actually maybe about a week ago. And, and, you know, that's another conversation itself. Like you just said, how are they going to handle their own UFAs? Um, to me, if you're going to bring any of them back, it's probably Evan Rodriguez just because of what JT Comfort is going to demand on the open market. 
but it, it is a good point. You know, they have all the veterans, the Caglianos and Helms and Eric and Jack Johnsons and Lars Ellers. And then they have this next level of forwards, Evan Rodriguez, JT Conferent, to a little bit of a lesser, well, a lot, a lot, a bit of a lesser extent, let's say Matt Nieto. And then from there, you know, you, you, you work around the edges and dip into the UFA market. So I'm really curious to see what happens with JT and Evan. Evan just seems like such a good dude and someone that if the money makes sense for both the team and player, he'll resign. But I'm just curious what teams on the open market would give somebody like that because... I think there's a number that works for the Avalanche and a term that works for the Avalanche. And, and if Evan doesn't find what he's looking for on the market, it would make a lot of sense for him to come back. I'm not sure we saw everything Evan Rodriguez has to offer this past season. I think there is another level to him. I think there's uh, another, I guess, level of acclimation, right? Having another year under your belt with the same guys and, and maybe some of the same line mates. I think we'll see him take a step forward if he were to stay. Yeah. Whereas JT Confer, you know, we've seen what he has to bring. We've seen his inconsistencies and you know, I could just see him looking really good in a Blackhawks jersey. Yeah, so, 100%. Um, we'll, he's, he's from Illinois. We'll, right. Um, We'll see how that plays out, but I yeah, as far as the JT Confer versus Evan Rodriguez, I could see them keeping Evan Rodriguez and and him having a better year than we saw in his first year. Yeah, the the reality is, look, it, when it comes to numbers, you can you can put one player against the other and make a make a make an argument why JT Confer is a better fit, and it starts with the simple fact that he's a fucking Stanley Cup champion that played on your top six, didn't have the best end to the season this year after a career year was kind of invisible offensively after the uh, trade deadline and in the playoffs was not good at all. Um, but you have to take money into effect and, or sorry, into account. And JT is coming off a four year deal making three and a half a year. Evan Rodriguez's contract might max out at three and a half. And I don't even think he's going to hit that number to be honest with you. JT is looking for a pay raise because he's earned one. Evan Rodriguez might max out at what JT used to make. And obviously he's a couple years older. So just by the math mathing, you know, if you were looking to sign a guy for two years at 5.8, so 2.9 a year or 6.0 at 3 million a year, JT's not accepting that Evan might, we'll see what the market has for him. Uh, the idea of having Evan Rodriguez as a third line center to me only makes sense if you keep Alex Newhook and sign him as well, which I know I've said many, many times you should trade him, but I just, I don't think they're going to actually trade him unless there's a player out there that you can acquire that makes sense as a young guy you can build, uh, you know, like a Pierre-Luc Dubois or someone like that and actually sign. Um, but I don't think you're going to trade Newhook just to trade him. And, and, you know, I think he's going to stay. And I think having both Newhook and Rodriguez on your third line would make a lot of sense. And I love what you just said about Evan Rodriguez because this is a guy that had a great year with Pittsburgh in the one year he played there. And then a pretty good year with the Avalanche too in the one year he played there. He's not had a chance to build some kind of consistency with line mates. And I also love what you said about we haven't seen the best of him. And I kind of agree with that because there were times just this season where he was thrusted into roles that were a little bit more than what he should be playing. I think kind of bringing that down a notch you know, if the Avalanche added guys like O'Reilly and Barbashev or talents similar to those, not that you have enough money for both, um, it would really solidify Rodriguez as that third line forward, whether he's playing on the wing with Newhook or at center with uh, with Newhook on the wing. Um, I don't hate that. I mean, in fact, 
JT Comfer and Alex Newhook were two-thirds of your third line when you won the cup. The other piece was, you know, Burakovsky who got injured, and then it was Nicholas Abe-Kubel. So if you have Abe-Kubel, Newhook, and Comfer, you can have Evan Rodriguez, Newhook, and insert person X into the third spot as long as injuries don't completely kill this team where you signed Evan to be a third liner and he never played on the third line because of that injury to Landeskog. Yeah, either way, this offseason is going to be a great great chance for them to regroup and almost build the roster according to the pieces that they have in place, yeah. right? It almost feels like the last couple of years they're just going by the seat of their pants, throwing throwing bodies in there, throwing names in there, yeah. and just trying to figure things out as they go. I feel like this offseason really presents a chance to build the the roster the way you want it and the way you need it to fit uh, from a gelling standpoint. Yeah, and, and look... Chris McFarland has gotten a lot of flack since he was promoted to that general manager role. Um, and some of it understandably so, but again, let's go back to that 22-23 season. It was an absolute shitstorm, man, in every single way. Like, Gabe Landeskog is one thing. There's also the fact that you spent $4.5 million on Josh Manson, who's a crucial part of this team, who played 27 regular season games. You brought back Darren Helm to be a forward guy played nine regular season games like there was a lot of things that went against this team where even the trade deadline acquisition at forward didn't go well when it looked like it could the fact of the matter is Chris McFarland he shouldn't be questioned right now he is a big part of this team and always has been in fact with the amount of general manager movement there has been this summer most notably Kyle Dubas and Brad Tree Living. Tree Living obviously jumping into the GM role in Toronto. Kyle Dubas getting a whopper of a seven-year deal, according to Elliot Friedman, to be the uh, president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins, which is something that you and I should talk about because there are some things in Pittsburgh that might interest the Avalanche at some point. But given the amount of movement we've seen among general managers, Chris McFarland, had Joe Sackick not elevated his position last summer, I guarantee you he would have been talking to teams this year and likely would have gotten a job because he talked to Pittsburgh when they were replacing Jimmy Rutherford with what ended up being Ron Hextall. He had some conversations. That's why the Avalanche promoted him. He is a hot commodity, and I'm just kind of saying this because I know there's a lot of Chris McFarland haters out there. But with that, I will say this. You now know what the Landeskog situation is. You now know what your depth situation is. You know, losing Berkey and Kadri is out of your control. There was a lot of shit last summer with the salary cap that was out of his control. But this summer, Chris has got to make his mark. And I know he's been here for a while, but Chris and Joe, like you cannot go into the season again with 12 or 13 capable forwards and then Martin Couts and Sample Rantas of the world getting called up. You got to have the depth. You got to shore up your depth. We're seeing guys like Nick Cousins making a, making their mark for the Florida Panthers. That was a dude that Florida signed for two years at $1.1 million a year. Those are the kind of guys you got to find. You got to have the players out there because you clearly don't have the prospects. I know they've already started with the college signings. I saw Evan Rowell wrote an article about how Andre Pavel could be a guy that you see in the lineup as a fourth-line center. That's fine. But you got to build this team. You cannot go into it again without a legitimate second-line center. And even the guy you used as a safety blanket last year is the guy in JT that I don't think is coming back. Tons of moves need to be had. Chris McFarland's got to have a good summer. Yeah, this is the one that he's uh, 
Man, you said the exact same thing just over and over. <laughs> um, it's 11 o'clock. This is the summer that he's going to really be judged on, right? I'm, I'm with you. It's too early to really criticize what he's done so far. But after this offseason, I think uh, the criticism will be fair or the praise, yeah. depending on how yeah, he yeah, does. Yeah. 100%. Cool. So before you uh, start talking uh, again... <laughs> Let's <laughs> start to wrap this one up. Um, no, I think this one's good because unlike most, we're actually, I feel like everybody is now smarter having listened to this podcast, unlike usual. So uh, <laughs> thank you for that little tidbit on the salary cap. That was good stuff. Absolutely. Made the podcast right there. Good job. Play the game. Um, other than that, yeah, I guess bless your heart for making it this far, but you, you learned something today. So bless your heart, Arif. Um, I guess let's go Nuggets. Have fun, Denver. We have a lot of non-Denver listeners, too. So, but still, let's go Nuggets. That was a crazy game, too. They lost by three, but I'm still feeling pretty confident. All right, all right. Well, let's go Nuggets. Let's make hockey for everyone. <laughs> we out you.